this on? Okay, good. Mark chapter 14, and uh, momentarily I'm going to read verses 12 to 26. We're really walking with Jesus through Holy Week, something that we do on an annual basis when we come to Palm Sunday and Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, but here we are in the, in the thick of Mark's gospel on the eve of Jesus's arrest and trial and crucifixion. And in the passage that we're going to look at today, we, it's just a, just a very powerful and sobering passage in which the Lord shares this sacred meal with his disciples. So let me go ahead and read uh, Mark chapter 14, beginning, with, beginning in verse 12. Holy Scripture says, And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is God's word, and it is for our good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your clear and sanctifying word that you have spoken for our good. Father, I pray this morning that we wouldn't just hear 
these words with our physical ears, but that there would be spiritual understanding, spiritual insight into the riches of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God is sovereign over all things, which includes time. God is sovereign over time. And we can, we can really struggle to surrender the understanding and use of our time to the Lord. One of the, one of the, the complicating things for us is that uh, we, we live in a very paganized world. As, as you think about the days of the weeks and the months of the year, many of them are named after pagan gods or pagan emperors or a pagan festival. And we, 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 we do life in the names of those days and in the names of those months. And yet, for God's people, particularly Israel in the Old Testament, he, he had a particular timetable for his people. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, takes us all the way back to Exodus chapter, at chapter 12 and the institution of the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And it says there in Exodus chapter 12 that the Lord told Moses and Aaron that the month in which God was going to rescue his people out of Egypt, that month would be the first month of the year for you. So is, Israel's conception of time was the, the, the year, a, a new year comes and you immediately gear up to celebrate the foundational act of redemption when God brought you out of the land of Egypt and constituted you as his covenant people. This month, the month Abib, A-B-I-B, does not correspond to our January. It corresponds to part of our March and part of our April. And on the 10th day of the month of Abib, the Israelites were to, were to, to find and secure a male lamb, a lamb without blemish, a spotless lamb. And they were to keep that lamb until the 14th day of the month. And on the 14th day, each household was to kill its lamb. And they were to take some of the blood and put it on the two sides and on the top of the door frame. And then they were to roast the lamb and that very night, eat it together as a family with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. The, the bitter herbs presumably representing the bitterness of 
their long years of slavery in the land of Egypt, the unleavened bread representing the fact that they were going to be leaving Egypt in haste. There was not time to have the bread be leavened and rise. It had to be unleavened as they had to make a quick and speedy exit out of the land. And of course, the lamb represented their salvation. The Lord God said that he was going to go throughout the land of Egypt and strike the firstborn of every man and every beast dead. But when he came to the house of his people, the Israelites, and when he saw the blood applied to the door, he would pass over that house because they were protected under the blood. The Passover meant being protected from the judgment of God. The, the Passover meant being together and enjoying God's gracious provision. The Passover meant release from bondage. The Passover meant being brought into covenant relationship with the living God. The Passover meant remembering, remembering these things, remembering the God who remembered his people, who remembered his promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who remembered them in their affliction and heard their cry and visited them with redemption. And as we go through this, this message today, I, I, just, I just want us to slow down and, and ponder the riches of this Passover celebration because it forms the backdrop for our understanding of the gospel and the new thing that Jesus is doing here. And so in verses 12 to 16, at Jesus' direction, two disciples prepare the Passover meal. The disciples inquire, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover at the end of verse 12? And as it happens, Jesus sends two of his disciples into the city of Jerusalem, and apparently there is some prearranged plan and some prearranged signs where this man was going to meet them. He would be carrying a jar of water, and, and they were to follow him to the house of a man who was evidently sympathetic with, a, a friend of Jesus who made his large upper room available for the teacher, Jesus, to celebrate the Passover meal with his disciples. And so these two disciples prepare the meal, and then that brings us into verses 17 to 26, which I would simply summarize as Jesus eats the Passover with his disciples. Look, at, you'll, you'll notice this emphasis on eating the Passover meal in verse 12, eat the Passover. In verse 14, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. In verse 18, as they were reclining at table and eating. In verse 22, as they were eating. So it's very evident here that they are eating the Passover meal. They, ha they haven't just gathered together late at night in an upper room to have a, 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 little, a little piece of bread and a sip of wine. They gathered together to celebrate a meal 
that was most profoundly an act of worship. This was not an ordinary meal. In Exodus chapter 12, this meal is referred to as a night of watching, a memorial day. You shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Leviticus 23 calls it an appointed feast of the Lord and a holy convocation. And all the people of Israel were to keep this feast one household at a time, at the same time, household by household. So, so you got to understand there's this, there's this beautiful act of worship and fellowship and remembering taking place and the tone of this celebration and worship is all of a sudden interrupted by the Lord's announcement that in verse 18, one of you will betray me. Think about that. You're, you're, you're gathered around in an intimate setting. I don't know if anyone else was present besides the, the 12 and Jesus, but at least you got, you, you got Jesus and the 12, 13 men gathered together in this intimate, solemn act of worship to the Lord. And all of a sudden the news breaks that one present is a traitor. William Lane wrote, Jesus' generosity in sharing this sacred meal with his intimate friends stands in contrast to the hypocrisy of the traitor. Jesus is, Jesus is generous. Judas, we, we know that the betrayer's name is Judas from verses 10 and 11, which we looked at last week. Jesus embodies faithful love. Judas breaks faith. Jesus truly keeps the Passover feast. Judas conspires with the corrupt religious leaders and looks for an opportunity to betray the spotless lamb. It's interesting, isn't it? And sobering that it wasn't obvious to the other 11 that it was Judas. It, it, it wasn't obvious to them. Judas had played a good game. There seems to be at least some measure of doubt. Uh, it says in verse 19 that they began to be sorrowful and say to Jesus, one after another, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? And Jesus says, it's one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. This, this profound act of fellowship and friendship, sharing life together, sharing meal together, sharing worship together. One who dips the bread with me will betray me. The, the Psalms had prepared us for this moment. And it, it's interesting, I'm going to read uh, some selections from Psalm 41 and Psalm 55, and what you'll, what you'll notice is, is on the one hand, you see the tragedy and grief, heartache of betrayal. And yet at the same time, you'll, you'll understand that the righteous one remains confident in the Lord that the Lord will deliver him. So Psalm, Psalm 41, 
verse 9. If any sermon, if any sermon text demands a lot of time in the Old Testament, it's a passage like this. Psalm 41, 9. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. That's the, the tragedy and the heartache. But, but here's the confidence, verse, verse 10 and following. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me. My enemy will not shout in triumph over me. But you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. And then in Psalm 55, you see the same kind of, the same kind of dynamic in Psalm 55, beginning in verse 12. In verses, in verses 12 through 14, you hear the, the tragedy and the heartache, but then in the verses that follow, you hear the righteous one's confidence in his God who will deliver him. It says in Psalm 55, 12, for it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him, but it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. And then look at verse 20. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved, but you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. And you can see that same dynamic of, of trust and tragedy in verse 21. Jesus says, for the Son of Man goes as it is written of him. Everything that is happening with the plot, the betrayal, the arrest, being rejected by the elders and the scribes and the chief priests and being delivered over to the Gentiles and suffering many things and being crucified. All of that is happening according to plan. According to God's script. Jesus knows that his suffering will achieve the redemption of his people. But... Here's the tragedy and the warning. The rest of verse 21. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. I, I, I really would like you to let this sink in. It, it is... It is very risky to be born. It is better to have never been born than to be born and walk away from Jesus. 
It is better to have never lived than to live and to reject, betray, and oppose the Prince of Life. It is better to have never opened your eyes in this world than to see with the eyes in your head, but to be blind to the glory of God shining forth in the face of Jesus. It is better to not exist than to exist in unbelief, idolatry, disobedience, and sin. It is better to have never had a beating heart than to have a heart that doesn't love Jesus. The woman that we pondered last week in the first part of the chapter, the woman who took a year's salary worth of ointment and poured it over the head of Jesus in a great act of devotion, she loved the Messiah. But Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, had no such love. Blessed forever are those who love Jesus, the Messiah, God's beloved Son. But Scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 22, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Listen, I speak to all of you, young and old, great and small. The single most important issue in your life is to make sure that you love and keep loving the Lord Jesus Christ. A love that goes down deep, has staying power, and bears fruit in actually following him. So, they're having this Passover meal, and now the shadow of treachery and betrayal hangs in the air. It's a somber scene. Moving ahead to verses 22 to 26, I want to reflect a little bit more on the, the Passover meal. It says in verse 22, as they were eating. So the, the meal continues. Now, I have to be honest, we, 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 we do not know the exact details of the meal in the conversation that Jesus and his disciples had. But we, we really should understand that they were really eating a meal together, a meal laden with theological significance. And it was an overt act of worship. I already mentioned that the Passover meal involved roasted lamb, bitter herbs, unleavened bread. It also involved multiple cups of wine. And it may also have included greens and stewed fruit and at various points throughout the meal there would have been words of blessing and thanksgiving such as blessed are you O Lord our God king of the universe who has created the fruit of the vine blessed are you O Lord our God O king of the universe who brings forth bread from the earth at some point in in the Jewish observance of the Passover, it was common for them to recite the Hallel Psalms, the praise Psalms, Psalms 113 to 118. They'd, earlier in the meal, they'd 
recite Psalms 113, 14, and 15, and then at the end of the meal, Psalms 116, 117, and 118. And just, just, just again, just, just get, get, get the mindset of hum humble worship that was taking place in this moment. I'm going to read some selections from these Psalms. Psalm 113, beginning in verse 2. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore, from the rising of the sun to its setting. The name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? Who is seated on high? Who looks far down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes with the princes of his people. Psalm 114, verses 1 and 2. When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. Psalm 115, verse 9. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. At some point during the meal, they may have called to mind the promises of redemption that God had given to his people Israel in Exodus, Exodus chapter 6, where the Lord says, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you out. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. And so he did. In Exodus chapter 12, as Moses was preparing the children of Israel for the long haul, he said in Exodus 12, verse 24, you shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service, referring to the Passover meal, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the people of Israel and Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. So they, 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 they would have remembered the sacrificial lamb. They would have remembered the being sent out of Egypt and the exodus through the Red Sea and the formation of a covenant with the living God at Mount Sinai. Now at some point in the meal, we don't know exactly when, but at some point in the meal, Jesus pivots. He pivots from the old to the new. Out of the rich soil of remembering God's gracious redemption toward Israel in the past, he redefines the meaning of the bread and the wine. He, he, 
Can, can, you, can you imagine him perhaps looking up, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth. And then he looks around at his beloved disciples and he says, as he breaks the bread, take, this is, this is my body. I'm the redeemer. I'm the deliverer. I'm the savior. I'm, 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 I'm giving myself and my life to you. In fact, this body, this body will be broken in order to nourish and restore you. And then he said to them in verse 24, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. remarkable that in, in, the, in, in the, the face of his own suffering and death, Jesus sees the good purpose of God in bringing about a new and better covenant. If you read from Exodus 12 on all the way up into Exodus chapter 24, you, you, have, you have the original Passover and Pharaoh says, get up and get out. And off the children of Israel go. And, and of course, the Egyptians pursue the Israelites. And the Lord delivers them through the Red Sea. And eventually brings them to Mount Sinai. And gives them the law. And then in Exodus chapter 24, the, the, the book of the covenant is read. And there is sacrifice. And blood is splashed on the altar. And blood is splashed on all the people. And a covenant is formed and ratified between the living God and the children of Israel. And you turn over to Jeremiah chapter 31, and God says, I'm going I'm to make a new covenant with my people. Not like the old covenant. They broke it. I'm going I'm to make a new covenant where there's going to be heart transformation from the inside. I'm going to write... The, my law on the hearts of my people. I'm going to be their God and they're going to be my people and I'm going to forgive all of their sins. And, and that, that, that covenant was purchased, ratified, and sealed not by the blood of lambs or goats or oxen, but by the precious blood of Christ. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And, and lest, lest we keep this at too abstract a level, I want you to understand that when Jesus was facing his own suffering and death, what he saw as the fruit of that, on the other side of that, what he saw was something very much like this. A, a people who have been brought, in, real people who have been brought into fellowship with the living God, who are learning to walk in obedience to God, who are learning to love one another, who are learning to pray. Th this is why Jesus died. To bring real people into fellowship with His Father and to transform their lives and make them His faithful representatives on this earth.
And so it's, it's, all, it's all new. The, the, the old Passover, you were protected by the blood of a sacrificial lamb. The new Passover, we're protected by the blood of Christ. The old Exodus was coming out of Egypt and going through the Red Sea. The new Exodus is coming out of the land of sin and death and the powers of darkness into the glorious light of God's kingdom. Have you, have you taken his body? Jesus said, take. And the implication also is drink. Where you recognize that you, you, you don't have to be your own savior. You don't have to be your own redeemer. You don't have to be your own guilt remover. In fact, you can't be. You, you take and eat. You take and drink, trusting that Jesus paid it all. And all of the blessings are yours as a free gift through faith. Moving on to verse 25. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This was his last supper before he died. This was his last celebratory meal. But Jesus, but Jesus sees beyond the crucifixion and beyond the resurrection, he sees a day, a bright, shining, glorious day in the kingdom of God when he is supping with the people that he has redeemed. And all of that will come to its ultimate fulfillment at the consummation, the wedding supper of the Lamb, when we feast forever with him. Finally, verse 26 very customary conclusion to the Passover meal. They sang a hymn. Once again, it might have been, could have been from those Hallel Psalms. And I just want to conclude by reading a few selections from Psalms 116, 117, and 118. And keep in mind, you know, the disciples, they were fickle. I mean, we've seen all throughout how dull they were. But know this. Jesus was a perfect worshiper. When he sang, he sang praise and worship to his Father with full understanding and complete trust. Remember that. From Psalm 116, verse 3. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O oh Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. You know, in just, just a few hours, he's going to be wrestling with his father in the Garden of Gethsemane. Psalm 116 continues, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. 
Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And then in Psalm 118, it says, Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. Psalm 118, verse 6, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. And then finally, Psalm 118, verse 17 says, I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Does that ring a bell? This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And Jesus knew that in the perfect wisdom of his Father, that he himself actually would be given over to death. so that all of his dear people might never be ultimately given over to death. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for providing your perfect land. your beloved Son to come and be our Redeemer. Father, I pray for everyone in this sanctuary and everyone listening online that you would work in our hearts an unwavering love for the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that all other idols and preoccupations and distractions would, would fall away in view of the blazing glory and grace of Jesus and his sacrifice. I pray in his name. Amen.